Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented the by the King's level, Herald. My name is Brandon Nunez. Got Brian West on here as we always do. What's going on, Brian? How you doing, man? Can't even tell if you see. Doing all right, Brandon. We deserve this win, man. Excited to really put in our draft coverage with a couple of Tennessee boys today. Oh, starting with uh, taking a I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely Keon Johnson loyal and, and passionate. Springer, and just like who, uh, that, I, I want to start become Tennessee not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship. Yeah, definitely two guys that I think could end up being in the lottery. Keon seeming to be more often projected there, even though they're kind of trending in opposite directions, pretending Imagine being one of those depending on who you're reading that you know, um, but context is very important decade, with both of these guys with this decade and a half. situation and season that Tennessee had and I think Ryan you have a better grasp on what that situation exactly was can you explain that a little bit for people yeah as I was watching a bunch of Tennessee games over the last couple of days I became increasingly annoyed at how Rick Barnes runs this team so let's just cover the bases Tennessee started both Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson um, this year. I think they started in... Uh, oh, no. Jaden Springer came off the bench for a couple of games. He only started 15 of his 25 games. And Keon Johnson started in 17 of his 27 games. Um, and yet, those two freshmen ended up being Tennessee's leading scorers and leading shot takers. So uh, that should kind of tell you something about... Um, how this team ended up being built, despite the fact that Rick Barnes uh, seemingly was annoyed at his freshmen uh, every other day. Um, but, you know, it's no secret that the spacing in Tennessee was really stilted. Um, they started two traditional seniors, uh, big men, uh, in Yves Pons and John Fulkerson, um, neither one of which spaces the floor at all. Um Springer was the Volunteers' best deep shooter, shooting 43.5% uh, from deep on only 1.8 attempts per game. So if that's your leading three-point shooter, I mean, that tells you something. Um, Santiago Vascelli, no, Vascelli, I think that's it, uh, shot 37% from three on good volume. He took 5.3 a game, so that's one spacer. Um Another forward who Fringe started some of the time named Victor Bailey. He tried to shoot at high volume, uh, but shot just 33.8%. Uh, and no other Tennessee player shot over 30, 30% from three. Um, overall, Tennessee was 240th in the country in three-pointers attempt and 246th in three-point mix. So uh, that tells you all you need to know when we're going to be talking about two dudes today who uh, are both guards whose best offensive gifts involve getting to the basket. Uh, it was not a good situation on offense. Um, and like I said, I was pretty annoyed at how Rick Barnes handled this freshman. Um, there was one quote after a loss where he said, uh, they've, meaning their freshmen, all got to get themselves to a point where they understand what conditioning really means. Uh, kind of messed up, I think, for a coach to be saying that in a COVID year. Um, and then after Tennessee, the fifth seed in the NCAA, a fifth seed in the NCAA tournament, lost to uh, eventual Sweet 16 team Oregon State, uh, he said that his two freshmen, who led the team in scoring that game, had stage fright. So, um, Jesus, yeah, <laughs> wasn't a great situation for either of these dudes um, on offense, at least. I definitely think that uh, Tennessee has a mantra of being this really gritty 
tough, versatile defensive team. And I think that's kind of where both of these dudes shined. So on one hand, I think that was an okay situation for them. But offensively, like I think both of these dudes are going to improve at the NBA level. Yeah, like you said, um, you know, for that to be the case, at least from a roster building point of view, even separate from the coaching, that there's such a lack of spacing for both of these guys specifically is really going to hurt. And I think Keon even more so than Springer, because you, like you mentioned, Springer does have some decent off the dribble shooting to himself. I think Keon still has a lot to be proven there. He didn't hit one off the dribble three all year. Um, oh, God. Yeah. So there definitely is a progress that needs to come on that end for Keon. And is that who we want to start with here, you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, let's just go by his numbers. Um, per 40 minutes, Keon Johnson averaged uh, 17.8 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3.9 assists, 1.7 steals, shot 45% from the, uh, from the field, 27% uh, from three at 2.8 attempts per 40, and 70% from the free throw line. Um, he's a six, five guard wing, uh, six, eight wingspan. So maybe he can play up a little bit, but certainly not at the size he currently is. He's listed at 186 pounds and like, you can just tell it how skinny he is in pretty much every game. Um, so if those hold true and he doesn't suddenly come into the combine having bulked up a ton, uh, I wouldn't call him a true forward, but as he gets some size, I can see that maybe he plays up the lineup. Um, what do you think is his uh, most clear skill or trade at the next level? I think it's got to be athleticism. And, yeah, you know, sure. athleticism is what kind of I think a lot of people look at as um, indicator for an extremely high ceiling. But a lot has to be paired with that athleticism. Um, and Keon is just a very raw prospect on when it comes to his skills. But his athleticism is ridiculous. He's laterally really quick. He, his bounce is surprising. He gets off the ground really hot, fast. Um, he's in the air for what seems like really long periods of time. You see putbacks dunks because of this. He's able to shoot on the way down um, when finishing around the rim at times. He's got decent speed to him as well, even though he doesn't have the handle to show it on ball all too often. You see it more so in cuts right now, but I think like athleticism, Keon Johnson is, I mean, one of the most elite in this class. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It, 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 it's weird because I feel like there's a lot of really good athletes in this class, but man, when you just watch him fly, it's incredible. He's definitely elite, elite, even in this class. And he's going to go in as one of the better athletes on whatever team he ends up. Um, so you talked about him being raw. I definitely think his numbers back that up. Like we 27% from three uh, and I'm going to dive into his uh, numbers here. Um, 17th percentile in transition scoring is just insane to me for a dude that athletic. Uh, and it was his number one play type, which just boggles my mind. Um, pretty much not uh, above average on any play type per synergy aside from post-up, which is, okay, why is he doing that? Right, which he did a, a lot for some reason. And and he was good yeah. on cutting too was the one thing. Yeah, but why is he posting up when you're right. playing two traditional big men? Yeah, and, um, and I think the post-up's going well is where some people are holding on to some flashes for his shooting and also like occasional mid-range pull-ups, but those were still pretty rare. I will say catch and shoot, he wasn't terrible. 
um, 59th percentile in catch and shoots, uh, but only 39 such positions. Um, I definitely think that where you can see a lot of the flaws in uh, Tennessee, you know, I talked about the bad spacing, but the fact that Tennessee just couldn't manufacture a ton of um, such catch and shoot shots for either Springer or for uh, Keon Johnson, like they were really relying on Santiago Scovi and uh, Victor Bailey to be those catch and shoot guys where I really thought um, there were some games like the LSU game I watched where, Hey, Keon's hitting, hit like a couple catch and shoot threes where he had some opening. And uh, we'll talk about Jaden Springer, but he pretty much never got catch and shoot shots. So it's pretty disappointing to me because I definitely think that both of these guys are, they're not initiators. Keon Johnson, especially, is not going to be a primary initiator. You agree? Totally. And I think secondary um, initiators even kind of questionable. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. And I think that, you know, a lot of what it comes down to with me for Keon is, okay, what if the jumper doesn't translate? And, you know, we went back to this with a Coro a lot last year when it's like, well, obviously it's an unideal outcome, but there's still plenty of other ways that he's positively impacting the game on the offensive end of the floor. And I don't know how I feel about that for Keon. There's cutting. Sure. That's great. Um, but he didn't finish great around the basket for a player that really has such a questionable jumper. And, you know, you could say you could credit some of that to the spacing, the poor spacing of Tennessee, as you mentioned before, um, but 56% around the rim is not yeah. a great number. Um, I wish that he had like a, a runner or floater or anything like that, but he only had um, eight attempts of that this season. So there's oh just, gosh. there's not much of like, he doesn't play make very well. You know, he has some flashes, I guess, but they're really just drop-offs to the man in the dunker spot. It's never a read past that one, I don't think. Um, and, you know, interesting to me, Kevin O'Connor did say um, when he had him ranked, it said already lottery despite not playing organized basketball full-time until high school, which was something that was news to me for Keon and maybe something that, um, scouts really see interesting, you know, he's still super young, was just a freshman at Tennessee before declaring for this draft. So this is just where all the raw aspects of him come in. And you're, I feel like you're kind of just betting on, okay, I have this mold of ridiculous athleticism. Yeah, I definitely think that's why he's so highly ranked. Um, our buddy Brett Huff's uh, consensus rankings. I just pulled them up. Uh, Keon Johnson is sixth on consensus rankings which uh, like I, I i can't i can't get behind that even if you're a team that's going to be like because there are some upsets to key on and we'll get it to it in a second um but if even if you're a team that says like all right we're, we we don't need a crazy offensive dude we can afford to be patient we're going to take this insane athlete and and get him working it <laughs> that is a big gamble and you know, you mentioned Isaac Okoro. Isaac Okoro was second on my big board last year. Um, and, and, you know, it feels uh, weird to say, to compare these two dudes at all, because while they share a weakness in shooting, like Isaac Okoro was great at pretty much everything else. He was a, a good passer. Uh, Keon Johnson is an okay passer. Like he has some vision every once in a while, but it wasn't even a one-to-one assist to turnover ratio. Yeah. Yeah. A ton of turnovers, 4.1 per 40 minutes. Um, he's not great at the basket. His touch got better at the end of the year, 
like that game against Oregon State, he had a couple of runners where it was like, okay, you've got good flash there, but it just wasn't consistent. And if there's just nothing to me on the offensive end where if the shot doesn't come around, I'm definitely sure he can do blank. Like maybe he yep. can cut, maybe he can just be a, a vertical spacer, but like what value is there in a six five dude doing that? Yeah. I'm with you. Um, a lot is relying on the shot. And I think that you do see a lot of players end up working on that shot and it really doing a lot to turn their year around or their career arc around, you know, Jalen Brown, I think is a good example. Um, you've seen Jimmy Butler, but <clears throat> excuse me. I do think it's really difficult when your comps are most improved players um, <laughs> because those are just ridiculous arcs that you have to mock. Um, yeah. So, but there isn't a, some positives to Keon at the current moment um, besides from this athleticism. And I think that you were hinting at earlier is the defense um, yeah. on ball defense moves his feet extremely well, constantly getting in front of guys and drawing charges. I wish he was stronger. Um, and we'll talk about that with Springer because he does that really well. Um, but I think that Keon Johnson moves his feet extremely well. I, I do think he has a really good wide base to him as well that I do think that he will be able to guard threes. I don't think it would be his ideal role. I think you preferably probably want him on more, uh, a little bit smaller. So you're looking at twos, but I think threes are, are going to be fine in the league for him because he does have a decent length to him as well. Um, I, I was trying to think of some comps and it's like, I don't think that you're talking Matisse Thibel level because I just don't think that he's that smart on that end of the floor. He no. fouls more. Um, I think that he's not quite as good with his hands. Um, the issue, if you run into like a Jalen Brown comp, is that Jalen Brown has two inches and four inches when it comes to wingspan on him. So it's kind of a difficult player when, especially, you know, when I have trouble finding a mock, it makes me really question this type of prototype because while the defense is good, I, I don't buy it as elite because I think there's still a lot of mistakes and sure those could be ironed out. That's kind of just the nature of this high risk, um, high reward prospect. But I, I do think that he's not a good enough defensive prospect, at least not at that size or being that size. If he yeah. was six, eight with these defensive skills, it would be a lot different than you're talking about like Scotty Barnes type thing. And still then I don't think he has the same skills. No, but, no, no, no. Not even close. Yeah, but that's that's like, where the positive of Keon is. But I think it's also a more polarizing thing because this is where you see a lot of variety for Keon is everybody has questions about his offense, but it's how much do you believe in his defense, I feel like. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know me. The player types that I love, that I end up being drawn to when I'm watching college basketball is uh, young athletic dudes who truly give a fuck on defense. I mean, look at the dudes. I loved Isaac Okoro. I loved Josh Green. Um, I should love Keon Johnson because uh, I will never take away from a freshman who comes in with the level of defensive effort and dedication that he did. But I, even if you're going to tell me, all right, he, he figures it out on defense. He becomes a pretty smart defensive dude. He, he's always staying in front of guys. Like He's still 6'5" and probably comes in the league at 200 pounds. I, I'm not as convinced as you are that he can for sure swipe up and guard threes in the league. Like, I think if you build the rest of your roster around him, that's probably fine. But 
I see him mocked to Sacramento and the, and the reason always is, well, the Kings need a, a, a high motor defender. Yeah. Well, great. That's the whole bunch of this class. That's, that's Moses Moody. That's Franz Wagner. That's Scotty Barnes. Uh, Zaire Williams isn't anywhere near as physical as Keon Johnson is, but he's a, I think he's a smarter defender. I would take Jalen um, Johnson over Keon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, 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 I'm not on board. Um, well, I want to hesitate there. Keon Johnson is definitely in that range of um, dudes I would see uh, potential upside and potential reasons if Money McNair took him at nine. He's yep. certainly in that range. He's just, there's no way he's going to be the dude I would prefer at anywhere the Kings end up picking. Even if they fall somehow to, to 12. He's still not going to be my number one dude on the board at that point. Yeah, if we're talking 9-10, um, I would be horrified if they picked Keon, but I would also talk myself into it <laughs> because he does have like the physical tools, and I do want them to go for an upside swing, and I think Keon's that. I just think it's a rough fit, and it's like too much of an upside swing. It's just all too risky yeah. for me. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because I feel like we're going to have this exact same conversation about quite a few dudes. Um, Zaire Williams being one, Josh Giddy being another, where it's like balancing upside versus upside that Sacramento has some need for. Right. And for me, unless you're going to tell me point blank, Keon Johnson is going to be a dude who can be a catch and shoot uh, average catch and shoot guy who can play off of De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. I'm just, I'm not interested. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, Kevin O'Connor has him sixth. Jonathan Wasserman has him seventh. Um, Sam Vecini had him seventh on a mock draft from about a month ago, but then he put out a big board um, just a few days ago here, about a month in between, and he has Keon Johnson sitting at seventeenth. And yeah, uh, I looked this. I his looked explanation this up in the a few comment, days ago. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I looked good. this up. Sam Vecini has been dropping Keon uh, over the last few months. Like uh, two months ago, his first big board had him, I think, ninth, and then he was tenth, and now he's seventeenth. So, yeah, he says uh, he says it's another guy where I did a the draft guy deep dive and realized his tape is just not really good in comparison to other players. I'm a bit lower on the jumper translating after having watched basically all of the shots he took. Handle was looser than I wanted to be. Definitely worth a mid-first-round bet due to athleticism, but I couldn't quite get to the lottery given how skill-heavy the league is now. Yeah, that's pretty much how I feel. Um, I, I I can definitely see my, I some team in the lottery uh, taking the upside, but, man, I I truly worry about his uh, his floor being a lot lower than lottery level talent low four and poor fit is is scary yeah it definitely is do we want to move on to springer a little bit here yeah i think so springer was definitely more enjoyable to watch for me um springer also played at tennessee 6'4, 204 pounds 6'7 wingspan was what i saw listed and just to go through the numbers that he had this season at tennessee I have 12.5 points, 3.5 rebounds, 2.9 assists, along with 1.2 steals on 46% from the field, 
43% from deep on 1.8 attempts a game and 81% from the line. Um, what is one of the aspects of Springer that you feel best about? Well, he's definitely not anywhere close to Keon as an athlete, but I definitely think he's an NBA level athlete and uh, he is incredibly strong for his size. Like <laughs> there were so many times where dudes were surprised on both ends of the court at just how strong he is. Um, and I definitely think that puts him on a different level than Keon because even if he's not as uh, vertically fast, like he, it takes some time for him to load up on jumps and he's absolutely 100% a two foot leaper. Like there were so many times where uh, he could have had an easier layup if he didn't need to pogo stick off both feet. Um, so he's not anywhere near the athlete, but he is so strong. He's built like a tank. And I just imagine that as he gets into the NBA, that's just going to continue. He's going to find his niche as a dude who just overwhelms his guys on both ends of the court with strength. Yeah, and I thought to go with the strength, um, just to start with the defense, that he moved laterally, laterally well, which I think you already said, and, and he has great hands. Um, I yeah. weirdly feel more confident in Springer playing the three, which I think you were kind of hinting at, <laughs> than Keon doing it. Yeah, uh, our buddy P.D. Webb um, is a big proponent of Jaden Springer being a secret wing. Um, I don't know if I am fully on board with that as like a full-time role, but when P.D. Webb called him a, uh, a guard-sized OG Ananubi, um, like, I get that. Just watching Jaden play on both ends of the court, I get that. Um, he's a great point of attack defender. Like he, he, he's great at shadowing dudes, sticking with his assignment. He fights through screens like a motherfucker. He's a truly physical, aggressive defender, and he makes the most of his strength. Um, if he continues at that trajectory, I don't think he's going to get beat by any NBA player except the most insanely toolsy kind of guards. And even then, like, I think that his ceiling as a defender is a top guard defender on a good team. Do you agree with that? I do. And I think that it's a much better defensive fit when you're talking about that end of the floor for the Kings. Um, you know, there's oh, this, yeah. even this worry with Jalen Green, which we're not saying don't take Jalen Green. I would take him three, maybe four. Um, but, you know, there would be concerns defensively because that's three more slim guys that you're rolling out there. And ideally you want some strength because that's more ideal against certain types in the league, like a Luca um, and, and different players like that. And while the height isn't maybe great with Springer, I do think that the strength he brings is a much better defensive fit when you're talking Keon compared to Springer in this Kings team. Yeah. He's a really decent uh, team defender as well. Um, like he's always ready to start disrupting against drivers sometime to his own detriment. Like he'll, He'll go in and dig at a dude, and then suddenly the, it's a clear pass out to his guy. Um, so there's going to be – he's got to learn some hesitation there. Um, but he's a true ball hawk when it comes to digging or messing up handoffs. He definitely has a little bit of Tyrese's Tyrese Halliburton's uh, anticipation gene. And like we just keep talking about, the more and more smart defenders you can get around Tyrese Halliburton, the more and more that Havoc defense is just going to – uh, really become a thing that the Kings can actually rely on. And then on the other end, um, even outside of the things he does with the ball in his hands, we all talk about, you know, needing people that space the floor, uh, specifically alongside Fox and Springer with uh, the numbers I mentioned earlier, shooting from deep, like you said, team leading 43.5% from deep, 
albeit on only 1.8 attempts, um, would definitely be more beneficial to the Kings. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm actually upset about his three-point shot because it's, it's too decent for how dang low they had him shoot. I fully blame that on Rick Barnes. Um, I mean, his free throw number percentage of 81% backs that up. He's going to, I think he can be a real deep threat at the NBA if he's asked to be, uh, especially as a kind of pull up dude. Um, he's already his favorite offensive play is a mid range pull up. So I definitely think at the NBA level, some coaches can be like, no, just start doing that from three. Um, I don't know that he's ever going to be wired to be a volume shooter. He doesn't kind of have the craft of a movement shooter, which would really be helpful in Sacramento. Uh, but I definitely think that he's going to be a floor spacer at some level. Um, now, whether that eventually becomes a catch and shoot guy, I don't know because he had a whopping 28 total catch and shoot shots, which is just bonkers to me for a dude as good a shooter as he is. Um, there were some shots I saw a couple against Kentucky where even when he had a three that would have only been like lightly contested, he added a little sidestep move. So he looks like a guy who needs some movement to feel rhythm in his shot. Uh, so I wonder if something that a team is going to immediately work with him on, especially if he's going to be a, a secondary initiator or a bench guard his first couple of years in the league, like working on his catch and shoot shot is a clear avenue for immediate offensive improvement and impact. Yeah. And I think the off the dribble, there were flashes of creation and I think an understanding of how to create space, but not the tightest handle at the current moment um, to really execute that at all times um, in the off the dribble shooting synergy has him in the 25th percentile and that's 71 total yeah. attempts. It was, it was kind of his go-to move to get into to near the free throw line and kind of just pull up. And sometimes it works, but it's not the quickest. Like he doesn't have the quickest elevation. He's not the tallest dude. So it wasn't truly an efficient shot. And he definitely became too reliant on it, I think. Um, I think he's definitely going to benefit from extra spacing and the lack of Rick Barnes type offensive restrictions. Um, but Honestly, I think he, he's definitely a project player on offense to me. Um, and again, I think Tennessee was such a shitty situation for any level of NBA initiator that some skills that we didn't get to see a lot of are going to transition quickly. But to me, I think his best skill was when he just put down his head and he was going to get to the basket because, you know, I agree his handle's not the tightest. Um, but he regularly surprised dudes with how physical and strong he is. He takes contact extremely well. He's crafty around the basket, shot 59.3% around the basket in the half court, which is 66th percentile. And, uh, you know, there are times where his lack of great explosiveness and his reliance on a two foot takeoff showed up and kind of hampered his creation ability. But there are also some times where it was just like, you know, that kind of looks like Kyle Lowry-esque, just a big guard, just moving dudes out of the way. And I hope that uh, at the next level, he definitely improves his handle because I think he can be a pretty decent attack the rim kind of guard. Kyle Lowry is really interesting. I think that's a good comp when trying to have people picture well, how well he uses his body, just, just in that regard, because there's a lot yeah. of... Yeah, there's a lot of way to go before he ever reaches Lowry level. Um, you know, another dude who 
he kind of reminded me of, and uh, you're going to kick me. He kind of reminds me of Cyrus Maxey. He's not, uh, he's not, he's not the, they're not like physically the same. Uh, Tyrese Maxey certainly wasn't as big. Um, but like when it came to getting to the rim and just moving dudes out of the way and being such a dominant point of attack defender, like a lot of what we liked about Tyrese Maxey last year and a lot of what we still like about Tyrese Maxey, like you would trade nine for Tyrese Maxey, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I like, I think that in itself, I I, I mean, I might kind of wait to see who falls. um, Right right after I said that, I was like, well, the fit might be better if it's someone at nine. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting conversation we'll have in a minute. But like that archetype is definitely something Sacramento could use. Now, I don't know if it's worth taking where the Kings are going to be taking him, but it's certainly, I mean, Let's get through his playmaking first because I think we're definitely going to have a conversation about his fit on Sacramento. Well, with scoring real quick. Um, okay, sorry. Do you think that he can create space for himself, that he can cre- make plays in isolation? Because most of the time this year it was, you know, especially towards the end of the year as they got a little bit more trust, Springer, you're going to run, pick and roll, and if we need a bailout, we're going to throw it to Keon probably, and he's going to try to make something in isolation, yeah. get downhill, something like that. Um, do you think that Springer is a guy that can create an isolation? Cause I think this is a big question for his ceiling. I don't know about immediately. Um, but like NBA spacing is going to help him a lot, which is such a boring statement because NBA spacing is going to help every dude. Um, but I mean, just minor improvements to his handle and, uh, maybe a better weight training program. Maybe he gets a little more elevation off of one foot. Like, it's not going to take much for me to believe that this is a dude who can get to the rim and get good shots. Like, he's crafty around the basket. There were definitely times where I think he got into the paint and and, and didn't have uh, an answer. Um, and that's where I think once, once the defense is set and he's ended up in the paint, that's kind of where he gets lost because he's not like a dude who can just jump up and explode over guys. Um, but it, it, it uh, it's not going to be hard for me to believe that he can improve as a initiator given time. Like, I don't know if we talked about this up at the top. He's one of the youngest players in this draft. Yeah. Uh, where I had it in my notes. Um, damn, he's going to be 18 on draft night. He's the youngest American player who's currently mocked in the first round. Uh, only dudes who are younger and considered first round picks are Jonathan Kuminga and Josh Giddy and Roko uh, Perkichin. And they're all foreign, foreign born players. So youngest American player, six, four. Uh, I remember when PD Webb came on uh, in February and he was talking up Jaden Springer as kind of, well, which Jaden Springer versus Jalen Suggs. Yeah. Like that was where I think he still, as Jaden Springer. And there's a whole bunch of really smart guys on NBA Twitter who are really high on Jaden Springer. Um, so yeah, I do believe that given some in- improvements to his handle, maybe he already has a better handle than we got to see at Tennessee, just because Rick Barnes put limitations on how much he was going to let his young guards freelance. Uh, it, it wouldn't, it'd be crazy to me if he has a 
kind of a same career arc as Tyrese Maxey does to this point. Like Tyrese Maxey's doing things in the playoffs because of his ability to get to the rim. And it wouldn't boggle my mind if Jalen, if Springer's doing that next year. Yeah, to me, Springer, I kind of thought of Malcolm Brogdon. A little bit yeah. more defensive Malcolm Brogdon. I like that. Um, but yeah, I, I do think then you wanted to also touch on his playmaking here a bit. Yeah. Do you see him as potentially being a primary playmaker at any point in his career? Uh, if it's a primary off the bench, maybe, but not. He's an okay playmaker. Um, there are some times where he's got great vision going downhill and his patching touch around the rim is great. And then there are some misses where it's just like, all right, dude, why did you take your patented spin free throw line floater? Viscali was wide open in the corner or Keon Johnson was open in the corner. Um, so I think his vision is really a swing skill, especially if he's asked to be a primer. I don't think he should be, but I think he's on a fine trajectory if he's going to be kind of a secondary or for Sacramento's case, a tertiary playmaker. Uh, I mean, his numbers got better as the season went along uh, as both scoring and as a playmaker. Like I, we should mention, five of his six 20-point outings were against SEC teams. And, I mean, SEC teams play play guards hard, especially freshman guards. So I was definitely more and more impressed as I got later and later in this tape. So is, is Springer a guy? that you would strongly consider for the Kings at nine, nine, 10. In, there comes a point in the draft where Springer is going to be my best player available. I don't know if that will come up before like pick nine, because it's in a really interesting combination of, do I definitely think he's better than some wings and forwards? Yeah. Is he going to be Definitely better to me than like Franz Wagner, Jalen Johnson, Moses Moody, Scotty Barnes. Like, I think those are questions. But I, at this point, I'm definitely going to take Moses Moody. I'm definitely going to take Scotty Barnes. I think I'm going to take Franz Wagner. I got to go back and watch more Franz Wagner. No, you are going to take Franz Wagner. Yeah. You are going to take Franz Wagner. Like, if Tyrese Halliburton didn't exist, there would be a much stronger case to me for. Jaden Springer to the Kings. And there's going to be an argument because a lot of what he does, the Kings need. The Kings need more big, intense, physical defenders. But, like, guard depth got improved at the trade deadline. Fox, Halley, DeLon Wright, Buddy Hill, Terrence Davis. It's not a huge position to need anymore. Um, so, it's, uh, I don't think he's gonna be like my ninth on my big board but and there's an argument to be made and i certainly understand why a lot of smart draft uh followers have him in like their top five um i i don't know that i would have him top five even on a non-king centric big board but i understand it yeah he's definitely more of a draft twitter guy at the moment um Kevin O'Connor, 22nd, Sam Bassini, 22nd as well on their latest yeah. big boards. On uh, Brett Huff's uh, consensus big board. Let me see, where is he at? He's 23rd right now. Yeah. And would, some, some of the names over him, I just, I am not going to take uh, Chris Duarte 
over Jaden Springer. Oh, God. Especially I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. Um, I, Sharif Cooper is an interesting name because I know he's another NBA uh, draft Twitter name. But like, I'm no, trying to look not, at not other dudes. Kings, yeah. I'm, I'm taking Jaden Springer over Corey Kispert. Yeah. Or full stop. I think I'm taking Jaden Springer over James Booknight. Um, I'm definitely taking Jaden Springer over Davion Mitchell, who is eighth on the composite big board. Good Lord. Yeah, I'm there with you. Are you taking him over Keon Johnson? Yes. Yeah, for sure. I'm done. For sure. The decision huh? is made. For sure. If it was in my hands and and if I was the Kings GM and Vivek uh, Ranadive came to me and said, hey, I've been really watching a lot of Tennessee games and I definitely want you to draft one of those two dudes. I'm like, well, let's go make a whole bunch of Jaden Springer jerseys. Yeah. Pretty easy. I think you're right. If it was my decision, I would do Springer, but I would understand the argument for Keon because I, I think that Keon has a higher chance of becoming an all-star. And yeah. like, if you're just talking pure potential, I, I think that Keon tops Springer. I don't even, I don't even know that I'd agree with that just because I don't know that I see an actual avenue for Keon Johnson becoming an all-star. Just like, even if his shooting hits at a 90th percentile, and even if he figures out everything on the defensive end, like, I, I just don't see the instincts or the craft to where I think he's going to be a primary scorer. And it isn't insane to me to think that uh, Jaden Springer becomes, uh, I don't want to say Tyrese Halliburton because Tyrese Halliburton is a totally different player, but what we love so much about Tyrese Halliburton being next to De'Aaron Fox, like I think it's not crazy to me that some team in that, in the lottery or wherever he ends up says, okay, we're going to put it next to our primary initiator and he's going to be the dude. Um, like I'd love him in Golden State. Next to Curry and Clay Thompson, I think that would be yeah. great. Uh, I would love him in Charlotte. I think next to Lamelo Ball, he does a ton of things that that team mm-hmm. could do. Use. Um, let's see what else comes. To Dallas mind. would be awesome. Oh yeah, Dallas would be perfect. Uh, your Celtics, if, especially if they're going to trade Marcus Smart. Yeah. 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 So I did. I definitely think some team who's got a primary already in place could take him and suddenly everybody's like, wow, this dude is perfectly optimized as an off ball guard who can really focus on his defense. Like, I think I would bet more on him becoming an all-star player than Keon. So. Yeah. And, and for my Keon all-star thing, I'm definitely not talking about a primary guy. Um, again, talking more of a Jalen Brown esque player which is just a high level secondary and even then i think that is when you talk like 90th percentile shooting outcome um because it it would primarily be off the dribble i think for keon is where you're really hoping there's a lot of growth um but there obviously would need to be significant in um off the catch as well so yeah keon is definitely more risky and like i said if it's in my hands i'm with you go springer um, but I, I would be able to talk myself into Keon, but I think I'm going to have both of them roughly around 11, 12, 13 and pretty close to each other. Um, so yeah, there's still plenty of guys. I think that if I'm sitting at nine or 10, 
there's 10 names I prefer above these guys is where I think I'm going to be at. Still have to dive into the rest of these candidates more. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on with these Tennessee guys, Brett? Um, I do think that I should mention that uh, Eves Ponds would be uh, a fun dude to get uh, as a undrafted free agent. Um, I had a lot of uh, takes over the year where I thought he should be going the second round, but as I watched him uh, this year, I realized that you know a lot of my hopes came from watching him as a sophomore on that team that had uh, Grant Williams and uh, Admiral Schofield, and uh, a lot of my hopes were that Pons would show some drastic improvement as a, a defensive thinker and uh, as a, maybe add some spacing to his game. Uh, I don't think either has happened. He's still one of the most fun rim protectors in college. At, I mean, he's just six six or six seven. Um, so if the Kings went out and kind of grabbed him in either the late second or as an undrafted free agent, like I think he'd be fun. But no, I think that's all my Tennessee takes. Uh, young guards should not go to Tennessee. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, definitely some names that I think are going to be in the debatable range for the Kings and uh, where they likely will be selecting come the time of the draft. Um, but we're going to keep going through these prospects. Not exactly sure which two we're going to touch on next, but definitely stay tuned to the Kings Bulls podcast to figure that out. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of draft coverage coming over the next, who I don't know, couple weeks, couple months um, until we reach the lottery. We'll probably really be able to narrow it down. Hopefully the Kings jump up to two, and this is just a quick conversation. The lottery happens 14 days and 21 hours from right now. And 21 hours. <laughs> All right, let's yeah. do my uh, patented. Bryant sees how lucky he is. Oh, I got to pull it up too then, yeah. Let's see what we got. Man, Kings day and nine. Wow. I'm unlucky for once. Bulls jumped to, jumped to one. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm not going to. Yeah, I have Orlando <laughs> jumping to one. Minnesota jumping to three. OKC fell to four. Um, they, so OKC has four and five because the Rockets fell one spot. Yeah. Or is the oh, Rockets man. top three? Uh, Rockets are top four, I think. Okay. Let me see. It's right here, isn't it? Protected for that pick? Yeah. Uh, Rockets pick is protected one to four. Yeah. 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 Wow. Oh, Tankathon, you kill me. Corey Kispert going nine. Oh, God. Yeah, I see the same thing. all right well um i think we're going to be doing some profiles on these guys as we keep going that's going to be posted over at the king's herald there's all the season reviews going on there uh trade concepts uh, just all the great off-season content that's fun from our point of view for sure and hopefully you guys enjoy if you have certain players that you want us to dive into soon you can definitely message us on twitter um, but yeah, do check out the site there at Kings Herald and give a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate and review. And you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days.